Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. Good morning, church. How is everybody today? Good. Some people excited to be at church. I love hearing that. Yeah. Where, where else would it be better to be on a Sunday morning? Nowhere. Church is where it's at. Let me tell you. Ah, for any of you who don't know me, my name is John Ciotta. Um, I'm the pastor of family ministry here at the church. Uh, I thought I would just share a little bit about myself. I recognize uh, some of you may not know who I am. I was looking back. I actually don't think I've actually been up here preaching uh, since like last summer, I think. It may have been that long. And so I thought I'd just share real quick a little bit about me. Um, I'm actually from Jersey. I grew up, born and raised in Milford, a quaint little area. Yeah, some Milford lovers over there. That's good. Uh, um, Yeah, and you know what? I was really raised in an incredible Christian family, two amazing parents, came to an understanding of Christ at a young age, and um, really actually felt a call on my life to serve the Lord. And so actually went through high school and ended up going to Moody Bible Institute out in Chicago, uh, which is where I met the most incredible woman I've ever met, uh, my wife. Um, you may have seen her at different points. She shares opportunities, Olivia. Um, and we got married and we started looking for ministry jobs and honestly looked everywhere. Uh, California, uh, Florida, we looked at Virginia and God led us back to Jersey. Um, praise him. Uh, and it is a blessing to be here. You know, over, over the past uh, nine years that I've been on staff, um, this, this is so much more than a place of work. This is my family. I love this church. I love this church. I love the church. You know, over the course of time, not only has my wife grown to be accepted and welcomed into this family, but also we've welcomed a little one into the world, uh, little Gwen. She's a little over a year old. And I got to tell you, like, it excites me that my daughter is going to grow up in this church. It excites me that she's going to be a part of this community. It excites me. I have to tell you the privilege that it is to serve as a part of this body. Like, I love being the pastor of family ministry, getting to journey with families and walk with parents and partner with them as they disciple their kids, to equip volunteers. Like, God is so good, and he is at work not only in this church, but in the church all throughout the world. And it is a privilege and an honor to be a part of it. It's also truly a privilege to get to share God's word with you guys this morning. I'm excited. We're going to be continuing our study in the renewed community, and we'll be looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. But before we get there, I have a question for you. How many of you have tried to be a good Christian at some point in your life? Like, really tried? Be honest. Oh, good. That's a lot lot more effort than first service. That's all I'm going to say. A lot more effort. That's good. I don't know if you're like me, but I can literally tell you points in my life, whether it was New Year's resolutions or different low points where I have gone to God and I have said, God, I am going to do this better, all right? I am going to be a better Christian. I am going to work harder to be good for you. And if you would look at the next day's journal entry, it always starts as, God, I am so sorry. I have failed you again. I know I promised this. Give me another chance. 
Next day, I am so sorry. I have failed you again. The truth is, effort is a blessing and we should be striving. But nonetheless, today we are going to be diving into the idea of what does it mean to have a new mind, a new self, to be remade, to put off the old, and to be made new. And so we'll be getting into our passage momentarily. Another thing that I wanted to incorporate into this Sunday morning service is um, part of having this new mind really boils down to the work of Jesus. And so we're going to spend a lot of this morning in prayer, all right? And um, we're going to take these moments and intervals where I'm going to lead us in prayer, and I'm actually going to ask for you guys to participate with me, okay? And the way that I'm going to ask you to do that is if you do align and agree and desire for this prayer to be true, I'm going to ask for you to say the words, amen. Amen means so be it. The idea of almost affirming and confirming, yes, I want this. And so there's one prayer we're going to pray multiple times this morning. It's actually up on the screens. I'm going to walk you through it real quickly. And I'm going to ask, don't say amen yet, because I want you to know what you're saying, okay? And so we read it. It says, Lord, we want to put off our old self. Please remove our deceitful desires. Amen. Lord, we want to put on our new self. Please fill us with you. Amen. Lord, we want support to serve you. Surround us with a Christian community. Amen. If this is something that you would be passionate about and would like to see come to fruition in your life, I'm going to challenge you that as we pray this prayer together corporately, that you would say amen at those different intervals. And there's no obligation. Nobody's going to be checking on you. You can mouth it if you're uncomfortable. Don't worry. But nonetheless, like this is an opportunity for us in the church to resoundingly confirm, yes, Lord, I want you to do a work. And that's really what it boils down to this morning. It's not about the words that I say or what I do. It's about God at work in this place throughout the morning. So with that being said, let's jump into God's word. I'm going to invite Dennis Summers up. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. You can follow along in the Bible or you can listen in closely. Regardless, just encourage you to be tracking with the word of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is a reading of the word of God. We're going to start, and we're going to break this passage down. We're going to start in verse 17. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in their futility of thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life God, um, God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Paul draws this very clear delineation. Don't be like the Gentiles. Now, I think the first question we have to raise is, 
who are the Gentiles? What does this mean? And as we look at the passage, there's two ways we can understand Gentiles. First off, we can understand it as a people group, a nationality of sorts. The way that the Bible talks about the Jews are the chosen people of God, and then the Gentiles are everybody else. Does that make sense? And so really, that's one way of interpreting it, but the way that Paul is actually referring to it here would be better substituted with the word pagans. He's really referring to a lifestyle here. He's referring to, hey, listen, don't be like those that are not seeking after me, that don't know the truth. And we'll see that comparison as we continue throughout the study. Like Paul's quite literally saying in the previous chapters, like there are Gentiles by birth that are a part of of believers, that are believers that, that know who God is. And so what Paul's really referring to here is, hey, don't be like the pagans. And then he goes on to describe what that looks like, darkened in their understanding due to the hardening of their heart. This, paint, this paints a picture of people who are lost and refuse to be found. They are unresponsive to truth. I heard this, it's a, it's a little bit of a gory illustration, but bear with me. Uh, it's like a corpse that cannot hear a conversation in the mortuary. The person who is spiritually dead in his trespasses and sins cannot hear or understand the things of God, no matter how loudly or clearly they may be declared. This idea of being darkened, this idea of not understanding, how many of you, when you heard the phrase hardening of hearts, you immediately thought to Exodus and you thought of Pharaoh? Be honest, how many of you? Okay, we, we draw immediately back to this story where Moses is called to lead the people out of Israel, right? And so Moses is commissioned with this task and he goes to Pharaoh and the Egyptians and he says, you're oppressing God's people. Let my people go. God tells you to let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. So God, literally Moses says, all right, there are going to be 10 plagues. And we watch as these 10 plagues unfold. Now, listen, these plagues are gruesome and terrible and, and created a lot of devastation. But they are like, I hate to use the word beautiful, but there is truth embedded in the plagues. Like when we take apart the plagues, we see that God is literally disproving a polytheistic realm. He's literally tearing apart the God system of Egypt. He's literally saying like, hey, there's only one God. There's one God ruling and reigning over everything, and I'm going to continue to show that to you, Pharaoh. In fact, let's just pull out one of those plagues. One of the plagues that happens is hail fell down, and there was fire inside. Now, in a, a polytheistic worldview, all the gods are at competition with one another, right? They all are competing for power and, and ownership of the world, and so for fire to exist within ice. What does not go well together? Water and fire, right? So if you're going to have these two elements that don't mix, there has to be one God in control of both. Like talk about the way that God is working to break down Pharaoh's heart. Yet we, I don't know if you read the passage this way, but when I look at it, I'm like, Pharaoh, why did, like, how did you not just give up? I, I am a creature of comfort. That is just the truth. One, maybe two plagues. I'm out. People can leave. I'm done with you. It's all good, all right? Like, seriously, it would not take much for me, okay? But Pharaoh sits there, and he's hardened. He says, no, absolutely not. I will not move. 
I will not move on this idea. I will not move from this moment. Pharaoh had a hardened heart. The reality is that Pharaoh refused to admit that there was a God over him. Similar to how Paul puts this with the old, he is literally challenging them, saying, you have lost all sensitivity. You have grown callous. Which Paul moves into, when we continue to turn to sin and we reject a life from God, we grow insensitive or desensitized to spiritual things. We reject righteousness and we don't care about the consequences. When we pursue what is not of the Lord consistently, it leads us to a point where we like grow desensitized to the reality of what God is doing and how he challenges us. Paul is clearly creating a contrast here. This is the old self. This is the old way. Let's just pray for a second as we, we embark and process what that means. Lord, we come before you, and I just want to pray for anyone in this room right now that is maybe in the old way. They're in the old self. They're focused on what the Scripture talks about when it talks about immoral and it talks about um, seeking fulfillment through the things of this world, God, that desensitize to your truth. God, I'm just going to pray that I really believe that you can do something greater than anything else and you can prick the heart and open up to truth, to righteousness, to grace, to love. God, would you be at work? God, as we pray this together as a church, Lord, we want to put off our old self. Please remove our deceitful desires. Amen. Lord, we want to put on our new self. Please fill us with you. Amen. Lord, we want to support to serve you. Surround us with Christian community. Amen. Amen. We continue reading in verses 20 through 21. That, however, is not the way, that you ha uh, the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is Jesus. The way you have learned. This idea of learning encompasses so much more than just like educational knowledge. The actual word learned here encompasses receiving Christ, listening to Christ, welcoming in his truth, and developing a whole new way of thinking. Very simply put, this is salvation. This is us recognizing our sins, recognizing our wrongdoings, turning and repenting from them, and seeking after God. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about recognizing the work that God is doing the reality is that if we have learned and yet we hold on to sin, we are scorning God's grace. We are so blessed when we know the truth. I don't know if this is you, but I will say there are multiple times throughout my day, throughout my life, that there are moments where I just have to sit back and say, like, God, I am so unbelievably blessed. I don't know if any of you feel that way, where you just sit back and you're like, man, I, I can't even begin to describe all the ways that I should be thankful. Like, as I'll just talk for myself for a moment. I am so blessed that it is Sunday morning and I am gathered with other believers. I am not alone. I am so blessed that I live in an area where I can say the name Jesus and I am not dragged off to prison 
or persecuted or my family is in danger. I am so blessed to be able to study God's word, to have the full, the full Bible. I have not just one Bible, I have multiple Bibles, some collecting great levels of dust at my house right now. Like in multiple translations with people way smarter than me giving me advice on how to understand God's word. Like think back to the Old Testament, we see like they would go to the synagogue to hear a portion of scripture. They didn't have the whole Bible that they could take home and go, I'm gonna read this. Like we are so blessed to have such access to God's word. We are so blessed, I am so blessed to know that I need a savior, to know that I am very broken and I have a lot of issues, a lot. That is a whole nother message for another time. But the reality is like, I need a savior, I need God, I really do. And I am blessed to know that truth. For anyone who has come to the recognition that they need a savior, you are blessed. We are blessed to know that we need a God and that he has paid for our sins and he gives us freedom to live within him now. We are blessed, church. What Paul is saying when he talks about the ways that we have learned, he is really challenging us to know the truth, to believe the truth, and to live out the truth and he continues in the next couple of verses as we embark into verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's take a second and talk about these deceitful desires that exist. You know, I, I have the privilege and the honor to work with families and to work with students. And I got to tell you, one of the things that breaks my heart more than, more than a lot of things out there right now is the way that we tell people, the way that our culture tells people, that we can find truth from within. The way that it affirms that if you really want to know where to go or what to do, just look within. Your heart will tell you where you should go, what you should do, who you should be. I have news for you. I don't know about your heart. My heart is fickle. It is all over the place, okay? One second I want this, one second I want that. It changes all the time. Not to mention my heart wants things that are not actually good for me. Do you know what my heart wants right now? It wants to walk over to Frank's, grab a massive pie of buffalo chicken pizza, eat the entire thing, then stop by Olive Garden and just sit there eating breadsticks for hours. That's what it wants to do. I can't eat gluten and I can't eat dairy. It will do massive damage to me, all right? Does that, is that what my heart desires? Absolutely. Do you know what would it desired right after I finished eating all of that? John, I really wish you didn't make this decision. That's what it would do. But yet we live in a day and age in a cultural setting where we tell people like, you wanna know what truth is, look within. And the truth, you'll determine what it is. You'll determine what is good for your life. Man, 
I don't trust my own heart. In fact, I actually believe that this can be a massive deception for us. Because the truth is, our heart's desire is not always actually good for us. See, there's beauty. We, we serve a God who has established what is good. We look back to Genesis chapter 1, and God creates everything in the world, and literally almost every time he says, it is good, it is good, it is good. We fast forward to Genesis chapter 3, and we see Adam and Eve, and the desires of their heart began to like determine what they thought was good. I was reading this book. It's a heavy book. I am struggling with it. I'm not even going to lie to you. I have to read every page twice, um, which is really not good because I'm a slow reader. Um, but it's called The Biblical Critical Theory, okay? And I'm reading through this book, and one of the things it talks about is the noble lie. The noble lie is something that is employed that sounds really good to the person you're telling him, but it actually has deceptive motives, Satan uses it in Genesis chapter 3 where it sounds like a good message to Adam and Eve. Yeah, you can be more. Overcome what God's restraints are for your life. Be like God. Doesn't that sound like an empowering message? Doesn't that sound like, yeah, go for it. But we know the result. Adam and Eve, they... they Eve literally takes the fruit and says that it is pleasing to the eye, and as she eats of it and as Adam eats of it, the desires of their heart were filled, and what was good now is devastated. I know this is a, like a silly illustration, but the truth is like a fish really wants to be outside of the confines of a fishbowl until it gets outside of the confines of a fishbowl, Right? Like, oh man, I'm so restricted. I've, I've got all these walls around me. They put me in this water. It's so unfair. The noble lie would be, you can be more. You, you can overcome this. But as soon as that fish jumps out of the fishbowl, it wants to be back inside. God created us to live within his intentions, within his purpose, and regardless of what noble lie we may believe, the truth is God has already established what is good for us. What is good? And it is not determined by the desires of our hearts. It is not determined by internal truth. It is determined by the creator of the universe. We have deceitful desires. The truth is, when we look at Adam and Eve, we see two people that no longer wanted to serve God and see it as good, but instead wanted to be God. And devastation was the result. Church, let us pray to put off our deceptive desires. God, as we come before you, I know that my own heart is wicked and I desire things that are not always of you, that are not always wholesome or, or loving or caring or of what you have commanded. And so, Lord, I, I do just want to pray for us at this time to just help us remove those, help us to discern what is of you and what is not. Help us to discern what you have created to be good. 
Church, if you believe this prayer and want it to come true, pray with me. Lord, we want to put off our old self. Please remove our deceitful desires. Amen. Lord, we want to put on our new self. Please fill us with you. Amen. Lord, we want support to serve you. Surround us with a Christian community. Amen. Amen. Paul continues on. He talks about putting off your old self and putting on your new. The truth is, I think one of the challenges we have with this passage is we tend to read it like a one-time thing. Like, all right, I accomplished it, right? Like putting on clothes in the morning. It's done. Congratulations. Like, I am good for the rest of the day. But the reality is, a commentary wrote it better than I could say it. It says, when a person becomes a Christian, God initially renews his or her mind, giving it a completely new spiritual and moral capability. This renewal continues through the believer's life as he or she is obedient to the word and will of God. The process is not a one-time accomplishment, but the continual work of the Spirit and the child of God. We are not just justified, but we are consistently being sanctified. We're being made new. We're being renewed through obedience to God. You know, Paul is pretty clearly contrasting the old self and the new self. This is the old self. This is the new self. I don't want to lie to you. The new self, very hard. Very hard. Very different. You're going to look different if you have this new mind, new self. You know, I've I get to work in student ministry. There's oftentimes students in my office. Um, and we can sometimes have a conversation that looks something like, hey, John, I'm not fitting in at school. I'm like, ah, oh, man, I'm really sorry to hear that. Why, why do you think that's the case? Well, I, I am invited to do things that I don't think are really good for me to do. I don't think that's what God wants me to do. A lot of times they don't like my response because it usually looks something like, that's great. That's awesome news. I'm so glad that you're not fitting in. And they're like, wait, wait, you don't want me to have friends? And it's like, no, I want you to have friends. Of course I do. But man, I want you to serve God. That's what I want. I want you to serve God. I want you to seek after God. I want you to belong to God. And yes, that is going to look hard. I've got news for you. For any of us who have graduated high school, you could not pay me enough money to go back to high school. I'm not kidding. And I had a good high school experience. You could not. It is a minefield to be navigated on a daily basis where you are encompassing and interacting with different challenges, different people, different situations. And, and having a new mind following Christ is really hard. And you can feel like you're alone. That's not just high school. It's being an adult. It's being a Christian. That's, that's part of the beauty of what it looks like to gather in community like we are right now, is to know that you can look to your right and to your left. Do that for one second. Just look to your right. Look to your left. Do you see other people there? Yeah. You're not alone. Woo, great news, right? Some of you are like, oh, man, I don't really like the person next to me. Anyway, um, now, the point is, like, we are, we are so blessed, so privileged. But the truth is, like, 
We're not alone. And yes, it is to, to live this life is different. Living in obedience to God looks different than what the world encourages us to do. That's hard. Living in obedience is hard, but it is good. We are not called, and this is something hard to tell, especially a student, but anyone for this matter. The goal of our life is not to be comfortable. The goal of our life is not to find tons of friends or be popular or whatever. Like That's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to serve, to live, to love God in complete and total surrender. And when we do that, we find greater levels of fulfillment than I can ever begin to express to you. And yes, it is hard. I don't want to mislead you. Sometimes people are like, oh, I'm gonna be a Christian, it's gonna be so easy. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's gonna be really hard, but it is so good because it is the way that God intended it. It is so good. This is where we find great levels of joy and great levels of continued just like refinement and growth. But I think the question that it begs for us, which is natural, is how, John? How do I, how do we accomplish this new self? Well, we try harder, right? We, we work towards it. We, we're all gonna leave today with a determination to be more like God, to be more Christ-like. I, I, I don't want to like d- discourage anyone. Effort is so important, but genuine change comes from Christ. And that's what we need. We need Christ. It's where it starts. It starts with Christ. You want a new mind, a new self? It starts with the work of Jesus Christ refining us, renewing us, reshaping us, remaking us. And then as he does that, The way that we live changes because we love him, because we want to be with him, because we want to serve him, because we want to glorify him. It naturally flows out of us rather than being this manufactured behavior modification where we strive to be better. It becomes this, hey, I love Jesus and he fills my cup and it overflows. Christ is the new self. It starts with the work of Christ. Paul writes in Romans chapter six, verses five through eight, it says, if we have been united with him, if we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that the old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. When you believe, when you have learned the need for salvation, we've repented and we believe in Jesus Christ, we, we walk in union with him through his death, burial, and resurrection, and we come up made new It's the reason that when we do baptism here, you see us do a full dunk and come up because the person is coming up symbolically anew. They are a new person, remade in the image of Christ, shaped to be with a new self. We are all made in the image of God, but we we have a new mind and a new self. That's the beauty. And let me tell you, some of you will sit here and go, like, John, like, I don't know, Christianity, it seems like restrictive and it seems like there's rules and, and maybe you're questioning the, the fishbowl, right? 
understandable, right? You're looking at the edges and you're going, I kind of want to live my life outside of this. Let me tell you something. You are being shaped. You are being cultivated. You are being transformed. The question is, by what? The reality is, there's a quote from John Mark Comer that says, for those of us who desire to follow Jesus, here's the reality we must turn and face. If we're not being intentionally formed by Jesus himself, then it is highly likely we are being unintentionally formed by someone or something else. If you were to take a five-minute examination of your life, just look at the things that you engage in, podcasts, movies, friendships, community, that is what is shaping you. It's what cultivating either this new mind or an old self. So what is shaping us? What is forming us? My encouragement for you is to lean into your relationship with Christ and allow him to permeate, to change, to cultivate, to transform who we are, to give us a new mind, a new self. And I have great news for you, really good news. You're not alone. Like, Ephesians literally walks through Christ, right? And he talks, Paul talks about Christ, but then he talks about the community that we get to experience as believers. Guys, the church is beautiful. I love this place. I love it so much. And not just this church, but the church that God has created. Not just Southridge, but the church. And I need to tell you, it is broken. Broken 100%. Broken people that exist in this place that hurt other people unintentionally or intentionally, but nonetheless, like, brokenness does exist. I, I, you know, I was even reflecting this past week just thinking, man, like, I've probably hurt people over the years that I've never intended. But in my own insecurities and my own struggles and my own challenges, it has happened. But in the midst of that, God is at work. And there is community here. You know, there's this quote um, the Gospel Coalition put out. The only perfect church is the heavenly assembly. And this does not meet at 1030 each Sunday, a short drive from your house. So until you're called to join the throng around God's throne, you're called to belong to a church in which others get things wrong. And so will you. Yeah, the church isn't perfect, but let me tell you, it's beautiful. We live in a society right now which basically puts you into boxes. It says you either need to think this or think this. And if you like this, then you hate this. And if you like this, then you hate this. Pick a side, pick a lane, pick a whatever. (laughs) Not Jesus. Jesus is like, hey, listen, my box is bigger. Everyone is welcome. Broken, hardship, challenged, wherever you're at, you are welcome. And if you don't believe me, look at the way that Christ carried around the 12. Within the 12, there was a tax collector and a zealot. Now, if you don't know what those mean, tax collector, someone who tried to take advantage of the system to get money from his fellow Jews. Zealot wanted to burn the system to the ground. Imagine the dinner conversations that existed. That's all I'm going to say. Like, it, there are completely opposite people with different thoughts, opinions, whatever else, but Jesus has, can fill it. He's got them both. Man, 
the church is a beautiful place, not just here, but the church is beautiful. I gotta tell you, as I shared a little bit about my family earlier, I love Southridge Community Church. I, I really do. I love this place. I love that my family considers this place family. I love that my daughter is gonna grow up being invested in by people here. I love that my daughter is gonna have days where she says, I don't want to talk to dad. I wanna go talk to my Sunday school teacher. I wanna go talk to this person that's a part of the church. And you know what I'm gonna tell her? Go talk to him. Go, please. Like, that's the beauty of the church. And let me tell you, like, I, uh, it breaks my heart. It really does. There are people that we hear about all the time, I hear about all the time, that are like, man, I, I just have had such a hard time. I've been going to Southridge for this many years. It's a big church. I don't know where to get started, et cetera, et cetera. And I got to tell you, like, listen, our heart's desire is that you get plugged in here. And, and if you have not been welcomed, I am welcoming you in. Get involved, okay? Get involved, because that's where community really starts. But not only is there a, a welcome from me, but you have a responsibility to enjoy that community. If you're not serving or you're not participating in a group or you're not going to an interest group, you're missing out on this community. You're missing out on the accountability and, and the people that will come around you and love on you and walk with you and pray for you. That's the beauty of what the church can be. Please don't jip yourself this experience. Like my heart always breaks. I talk to so many different families and this is not a, this is not a hit on anyone. I just talk to so many different families who are like, ah, it's, you know, we're just so busy. Man, I, I don't be too busy for this community. Don't be too busy to miss out on what's taking place, not just here at Southridge, but at the church. It is beautiful. It is amazing what God is doing. And he welcomes you into that broken distorted because we all are broken and distorted, longing for the healing that Christ brings. Reality is, church, as we, we pray and we sing and we close out our service today, like we need Christ and that's where it starts. And then we need to surround ourselves with a community that's going to support us. So as I welcome the worship team up, I wanna do this prayer one more time. Lord, we want to put off our old self. Please remove our deceitful desires. Amen. Lord, we want to put on our new self. Please fill us with you. Amen. Lord, we want to support, to serve you. Surround us with a Christian community. Amen. Church, we're going to sing the song called In Christ Alone, and I really believe that's where it starts. It starts with Christ doing a work within us. That's where transformation, where this new mind really cultivates, culminates, and comes from. So sing loud. Stand with me as we proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. In Christ alone is my new mind, my new self found. In Christ.
Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my soul. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand.
the power of Christ all stands. It all starts with Christ. It really does. And so if you're here today and you're wondering how to take that first step, I want to encourage you. We've got an awesome prayer team down up here in front. And we have the church body to provide support. And so be involved. Whether online or in person, connect. Take that first step to doing something, serving, participating, life group, whatever. I'm going to put you in an uncomfortable position. I am. I'm warning you now. We're finishing up a couple minutes early, and I want to take those minutes to just encourage conversation with someone next to you. So what we're going to do is we're actually going to close out the service by just embracing this community. Say hi to a neighbor. Introduce yourself. Get to know them for just two seconds where you have a chance to talk and say, hey, my name is this. This is how long I've been at Southridge. Here I am. This is where I'm at. I know some of you are like, oh, John, why are you making me do this? It's good, I promise, it's so good. If you're not able to, I totally understand. You're more than welcome to leave, but we, we wanna encourage you, invite you to be a part of this community. So let's take a couple minutes and, and share a word with someone next to you and we'll close out our service momentarily.